Welcome to the Live in Everett podcast, where we explore good things in Everett, Washington. My name is Garrett Hunt. I'm producer Henry J. Tyler. Gone again. Gone again, unfortunately, but Henry and I are going to hold it down today. Thank you for joining us on episode number 132. On today's episode, we'll be sharing events from the Weekly Goodness, talk about some longtime businesses closing and red light cameras in our Life in Everett segment, and get you caught up with election season with our interview with Herald reporter Jerry Cornfield. So let's jump in. So let's talk about our lives in Everett. Uh, first up, uh, we're going to talk about Covenant Art Glass. After uh, 40 years, they are the owners are moving on, uh, as well as Van Winkles, which has been in Everett forever. Uh, those owners are uh, making some changes as well, some of these uh, Everett institutions. I know, they're disappearing. People are getting older. I think they're both retiring, both businesses. The I, owners are retiring. I so. believe so, yeah. I know uh, Covenant Art Glass, the Herald just uh, did an article on them, and it sounds like they're hoping to sell the business um, and keep it going. Uh, but uh, yeah, they've been out at 40 years, so they're. Uh, it sounds like they're going to retire over in Wenatchee. And I've never been in there before. I feel like I need to go in there before before they retire. Yeah, I've never been Check in there out. either. But it's right down the street from my house. So mm, it's there in, you go. In my neighborhood. I guess they're going to be having a big sale in November. Uh, the owner who makes glass art himself, he's been doing it for like 50 years. So he's going to be selling off a bunch of his stuff. Uh, I think it's around mid-November-ish. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Van Winkles, the uh, furniture and archery store, Possibly the only one of those in the world, maybe. I don't know. I feel like it's such a unique pairing. I think they're two different businesses because uh, the only thing that I know about Van Winkle's closing is what's on their um, their windows, which says like retirement sale, blah, blah, blah. But none of that is on the archery mm. thing, business. So I don't know. So I think the, I heard the archery business is going to be moving uh, like a block or two down the street. Oh, okay. So okay. I think the archery business is going to keep going. I think it's the furniture side of it that they'll be phasing out because I believe uh, that they sold the building. And this is the building. It's right across the street uh, to the uh, north side of Xfinity Arena, right on the corner there. And I feel like the Big Van Winkles sign, which faces out toward, um, oh, what street is that right there? Oaks. Oaks. Okay, so yeah, the, the sign faces Oaks, but it's just in that old-timey kind of cursive font really big i feel like it's so iconic and just like embedded in my mind that big van winkle sign i really hope that sign stays there i hope so too and i hope that building gets uh filled with something at all yeah <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a trend in downtown Everett. is once I, once your business goes away it just the building sits vacant so hopefully some i mean it's prime absolutely prime real estate there you're right across the street from the venue um, from Angel of the Winds Arena. I mean, there could be a really nice brew pub there, really nice restaurant there, just something for people to do in downtown before they head to the arena for fun times. Absolutely. I don't know. It could really be like a hub for downtown Everett. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see what happens. We'll keep you guys posted on that. And uh, kudos to these Everett business owners who have just put in the decades and decades of... Uh, devotion of uh, keeping keeping things going and uh, yeah hopefully we'll have some good folks to come in and, and fill their shoes and and keep some of these uh these businesses around uh, next up on the docket the everett city council is considering getting red light cameras in everett 
Apparently, uh, so again, a, uh, I believe this was from a Herald article. We saw this that came out recently that recapped some recent conversations in uh, city council meetings. And I guess the city was looking at doing this back in, uh, I believe it was about 2009, about 10 years ago. And they decided to put it on the back burner. I guess there was some, uh, there was like an active lawsuit going on in Seattle around red light cameras. And so the city decided to wait to see how that played out That it ended up going away. Um, but I, I guess some members of city council have seen or heard, I mean, like we've talked about on the podcast, there's some crazy drivers out there. There's accidents that happen. There's lots of close calls that happen. And, uh, so it's something they, they got back on the docket. They're, they're looking at putting in, uh, I believe it's seven, uh, different cameras. And, uh, yeah. How, how do you, you got any, uh, you got an opinion about it, Henry? What do you think? Well, I made the joke in the meeting that they're just, they're going to trade like, you know, people going through the intersection accidents for just, or for rear end collisions basically, or like, right. um, you know, yeah, it's, it's that, that is going to explode, right? The rear, rear end collisions, once you put a red light camera in, I feel they go up because nobody wants to get a ticket. In this day and age, I, I a lot think of people they, can't afford that ticket. So I think they say that in the article that, yeah, there would be more likely to be rear end collisions, but they say that apparently a, a study showed that as far as fatal accidents, uh, red light cameras reduce them by 21%. But they did say, yeah, it sounds like rear end, you know, uh, more minor accidents would probably increase a bit. Right. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're kind of training one for the other, exactly. hopefully getting the lesser of two evils. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. That, um, that's my opinion. <laughs> one thing I thought was interesting is the company that provides these cameras charges $4,750 per month per camera. So we're talking per over, month per month. So we're talking over $33,000 a month for seven cameras. Um, and the, uh, they, they say that the amount of the fines would probably be comparable to what uh, parking fines are right now, which range from the $124 to $250 range. So if you average that in between the two, that put the average fine at about $187. Uh, probably in that ballpark uh, might be what a, a red light uh, fine might, might be. Uh, and I came up with that figure on my own just based off of what I, I read in the article, what, what they said. Um, and it says the fines can only go toward paying for the cameras and traffic safety improvements. Uh, back in uh, 2009, when they were looking at this, they were projecting that this would probably produce about a million dollars a year in revenue. Um, so you figure you got to you got to kind of ruin a lot of people's day. Yes. It, you know, a million dollars a year at 187 bucks per ticket. I mean, that's that's thousands and thousands of tickets. Um, and then I, with seven cameras, you, you know, is it like are fatalities just reduced at these seven intersections or, you know, I, don't know, I still have some, some questions. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's I don't, I don't really know how I feel. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like, you know, even though I, I feel like it's going to make a lot of people mad, it's going to probably kind of produce, what seems like a lot of possible waste for funds. I, I do like the idea of the funds being able to improve traffic safety and more, uh, you know, crosswalks and maybe better lighting or maybe, you know, like the flashing lights or different things. I, I mean, 
it, it is hard to go against something I feel like that is in the name of safety. And even if it can just help save, you know, a couple lives here and there, I mean, it, it is a big deal. So I, I would probably have to lean towards saying yay, but there is a poll in this Herald article and most people are saying no. The vast majority are voting against it. Well, nobody uh, likes a $187 ticket. And a lot right. of those things, you know, are, are false too. And then you have to go dispute it because you get a letter in the mail saying that you ran a red light camera and then they show you the photo and you're not, you didn't do anything. That's the other and thing. Then, and then that ruins your day even further because then you have to go to court. Right. And that's, that's the other thing I wonder is then how much are we paying, uh, you know, all the different, uh, staff who have to process all, all these different things, whether that be, uh, you know, judges or clerks or di- different people that have to deal with these complaints and all that, um, you know, potentially a lot, a lot of legwork. And it's a gamble too. Cause like, what if you put in these red light cameras and nothing happens and you're not making the $33,000 a month that you need to make back? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that, that maybe that's not a lot of money in like city terms, but I feel like that, like that's a lot of money to pay per month for what we don't know yet. You yeah. Know what I mean? For a little bit of a reference point, one thing that they did mention in the article, they, they talked about that right now in Snohomish County, the only city that has been using red light cameras is the city of Linwood. Yes. And I think it said they have like something like 12, traffic light cameras and then four school zone cameras. So around 16 total. And I believe that generated over $3 million per year in revenue from all those fines. And, uh, you know, so my, my guess is their, their first, uh, projection from a decade ago. And when the city of Everett thought this would probably produce at least a million a year at first, I thought, well, yeah, what if people actually, what if everyone hears about this? And they do the right thing and they come to a full stop at the red lights and it doesn't actually produce money. Um, but unfortunately it probably will. I'm sure right, it, it right. will bring in that million plus bucks that they're, they're anticipating. But, but you're right. I mean, if, I mean, we're still going to be having to pay that 33 grand a month regardless. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what shakes out. Well, how do you feel about the red light cameras and Covenant Art Glass and Van Winkle's closing down? Let us know. Drop us a line through social media, social media, or leave us a voicemail at 425-341-3731. Let's take a look at some events happening around Everett from The Weekly Goodness, a weekly email newsletter we send out every single Monday. So, Henry, what is your event pick of the week? Well, on Sunday, I will be going to, thanks to Max and uh, Without a Cause Wrestling for gifting me a general admission ticket to uh, their year one celebration at the VFW Post 2100, which is right on uh, Oaks Avenue, right by the Normana Lodge, right next door. Um, I'm very excited to go. I haven't been to a Without a Cause Wrestling match in a very, very long time. It's a stacked card, and the... uh, the main event is for the Without a Cause Heavyweight Championship. Chris Bay, who is just on WWE TV, and uh, it seems like the the E is taking a look at him, so we might not see him much too longer, but he is the WAC Heavyweight Champion. He's taking on Hammerstone Sunday at 4 p.m. It's kid-friendly. Come see some uh, redneck anime with me. It'll be a good time. We'll drink, redneck anime. We'll drink cheap beer and... Uh, Watch watch a Redneck Kabuki theater together. Sounds fun to me. Lots of good events in the weekly goodness this week. I decided to plug the uh, Everett Fall Home Show. Uh, it only happens once a year. It's uh, 
all weekend, Friday through Sunday at Angel of the Winds Arena. You can browse hundreds of local businesses uh, ready to help you customize, update, or even design the home you have always wanted. Uh, Friday through Sunday at 12 p.m. And uh, yeah, you can learn more in the weekly goodness. So that's what we picked out for this week. For more details and get the weekly goodness sent to your inbox every Monday, just go to liveandever.com slash subscribe. And up next is our interview with Herald reporter Jerry Cornfield breaks down the election. It's a long one, but it's a real good one if you need to get caught up to speed with election season, which starts now. Well, hello, everyone. Garrett and Tyler here, along with a very special guest today. We have Jerry Cornfield, who is a reporter for the Everett Herald, uh, specifically reports on politics. And so with the uh, election ballots due soon, we're excited to have Jerry here uh, with us to share some insights on uh, how we think about local elections. And our team put some uh, questions together to go over with you. And uh, Jerry, thanks so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, first, let's do an introduction. Uh, Jerry, we mentioned you are a uh, reporter with the Herald, specializing in politics. What else can you tell us about yourself? What do you what do you do? What are you about? Well, the first thing you should know is that I actually work down in Olympia. We have an office at the state capitol, so I cover the legislative session and state politics. And uh, Wait a minute. You don't know. actually live in Everett? I do not, and I have to confess okay, that right up there's front. There's the door, Jerry. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, no, Visit, no, no. If you rename Thank this episode, <laughs> Visiting Everett. All, all are welcome here. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> Thank you for making the time. But I have been doing this uh, business of writing and journalism since uh, I was in high school and started in sports and then through college and worked uh, because I have a face for radio. You'll know that I I was working in San Francisco when Dianne Feinstein was the mayor and worked then. And um, gosh, I can remember... uh, you know, it's been 30 years since they had the major earthquake in uh, in San Francisco. Was down for that, and then moved up to Washington in 2004. And lo and behold, we had the closest race for governor in the history of the state, mm. and uh, experienced that. So had quite a few experiences. But I shifted from sports to politics somewhere around the 80s, and never came back. Hmm. What got you into this line of work? In the first place. You know, it's ironic. I, I didn't know it at the time until I started writing Little League Baseball that my mom said, oh, well, I was a journalist at the University of Washington and worked for the, you know, the Daily. And, and so oh. I think it would have been genetic because uh, all my siblings are in uh, public education and I went the route that my mom did for a while. And I think that's what it is. I just, uh, or maybe it was I couldn't play sports, so I wanted to write about it and I didn't play politics, so I get to write about it. So we want to get into the questions that we put together in a second, but I'm so curious how, like, as a political reporter, how you stay, like, where your own personal point of view falls in or comes into your work and how you walk that line ethically. Well, it depends on the newspaper or, or and my role at a paper. Like right now, I'm a columnist, so that is a difficult line to walk, uh, trying to analyze a situation without trying to, uh, if you will, take a side, uh, because it's it's very subjective. So it is very difficult. I try to look at the adjectives I use and the structure of sentences and the tone, uh, knowing that you know it isn't. There's no objectivity in my mind in journalism. You're trying to be fair. And if you're trying to represent the situation as fair as you can. And so when I write a column, it's difficult. When I'm writing news, it's pretty formulaic. You can pretty much what happened and when did it happen and where did it happen and 
why is it important? And you ask those questions and you write about it. Um, but when you're writing a column, you're trying to say, okay, here's what happened. Here's what it means and trying to do sure. that. Sure, yeah. It took me so long to understand that there was a difference difference between like news reporting and columnist and editorial and all of those kinds of things. Yeah, and sometimes uh, what I write, well, people will say it should be on the editorial page. And, sure. and I understand that because that means I probably went over the line a little bit. Hmm. Do you get a lot of death, death threats? Uh, no, <laughs> not in my career. That's no. good. <laughs> Although back in California years ago, uh, in California you register by party, and years ago, there was a group of folks that would check the registration of the reporters, and then they would publicize it. So us reporters at the weekly that I worked at at the time, we would change our registration every election just to foul them up. <laughs> and, and just so, sort of like, oh, wait, they changed. They were Democrat. No, they're Republican. No, they're independent. And every election, they had to redo it. So I'm going to ask you to editorialize a little bit here. Uh, and I swear we're going to get into these questions, but I'm so curious. You know, we people from like my generation, millennials, I feel like we're saying that politics are nastier and worse than they have ever been and so divisive and everything's separated by party lines. Do you feel like it's worse now than it has been in the past or is it always like this and we just have a short memory? So two different ways to approach it. First, the people, I think people are, um, they're more engaged and they probably are a little more uh, vehement in their views because of social media. They can communicate faster via Twitter and Facebook sure. than they used to be. The politicians, uh, I'm sad to say, I think they work together worse than they ever have. I mean, it used to be where you could disagree, but you could do it disagree. I mean, you, you could disagree and still go have drinks after a meeting. There you was civility. Go, yeah. Yeah. And, and they sort of acknowledge their closest friends often were the folks on the other side of the aisle from them. That doesn't happen as much anymore. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, and not now I'm going to editorialize. So, uh, the, you know, the, uh, Anna Roar, Roarbaugh, Roarbaugh, um, just the fact that she has an R by her name, I feel like people jump all over her. And we'll get into some specifics about that race, but um, it is, um, it seems like a crazy time to me. Civility seems to be like totally lost in, in politics. Well, there's no question that, you know, the gentleman who is in the White House right now has taken and used the presidency and that pulpit in a way that no president ever has, uh, and using Twitter and speaking in a voice that no president ever has, whether you liked or disliked any of the presidents in your lifetime. Um, some of the words and the phrases and the name calling that he's done that way. It's just mm -hmm. changed our tone and it's opened the door for all of us, if you will, the public as a whole to communicate differently our viewpoints. And I think that makes it tough. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, let's get into questions about our local elections here and how uh, it affects our uh, Everett, uh, our, our listeners here in Everett. So Garrett, you want to. Yeah, let's do it. So, in general, we'd love for you to talk about why this off-year election is important and to fill our listeners in on uh, what some of the key differences are between, you know, I know there's uh, seats up for both Everett City Council and Snohomish County Council. Um, I, you know, we don't cover a lot of politics here at, at Live in Everett. So just in general, what are some of the different ways that uh, these different uh, seats kind of affect the citizens of Everett? So the first thing I want to say is that next year when there's a presidential election, the turnout will probably be in the 80%. Hmm. And next month in the off-year election, if it breaks 40%, everybody will, who's involved in elections will be very happy. Hmm. And that's a problem because the decisions in the off-year elections are actually the decisions that affect 
folks most directly. You're voting for school board. If you have children in schools, the issue of uniforms or bonds or levies, taxation, any program, it's the school board that makes the decision, but not enough people stay informed and vote on it. The city council, you know, if the the when the buses run and which roads are getting worked on, it's the city council that's deciding that, not members of Congress, not the president. And so people need to focus on the local elections much more probably than they should even in the national. That's an opinion, but that's because folks, when they really get upset with the taxes they pay, the taxes they pay are determined by the folks who are on the ballot this next month. Right. And that's why it's so important. And so this uh, off-year election that we have, how is it going to affect people in Everett? Well, in Everett, you have a city council, and you have four seats, two of them, uh, to two council members, uh, Brenda Stonecipher and Judy Tui, have no opponent. So they'll still be there, and they've been there. And then you have two other seats that are up, and there are being competed, competitive, competitive races for those. Scott Bader, the incumbent, Liz Vogeli, was appointed, and she's seeking a full term. And they have opponents this year. Uh, Scott is Joseph Erickson, who I know is a teacher and a union activist and very involved in the community. Two different viewpoints. I mean, they have been associated with political parties, even though it's a nonpartisan race. Uh, and same with Liz. She faces Marianne LaFontaine, who's also a different viewpoint. Uh, uh, you know, could go into the liberal and conservative if we want. But uh, if you change two members of the city council on Everett, you now change the tone of what kind of policies will be pursued. How fast will there be more affordable housing? How fast might taxes go up or down? How fast or slow might law enforcement be expanded or, or shrunk? Those kinds of questions. So, and as me as a, a voter, any average Everett citizen, how do we know how to look at these candidates to kind of determine those things, of, of those, uh, those effects that they may have? And it's very difficult because uh, even though there's more information out there, it's often there's so many buzzwords, it's really hard to drill down. So it depends on how much effort and how, how deep you want to drill. Sure. You've got websites, both of them have campaign websites, and often they put their uh, viewpoints of what they want to do. And some, for example, I was looking at Joseph Erickson's, and he has action, action, action at each point on each issue of what he wants to do. He's very specific. That'll give you a good picture of it. Others don't. They'll just talk generally and what they want to do. So you look at their websites. Uh, if you're new, uh, you won't know any of their people who endorse them. If you've been around and you can look at the endorsements and you know the individuals, you can get an idea and a flavor for what how, how well they're looked at in the community. Uh, but then you have to really start to look at what has the city council done lately? Okay, I liked what they did on this. Let's go online and see how they voted. So then you could start to look at the voting records of those who are on the ballot. And then if you say, I didn't like this, oh, they voted for it. Well, then that might begin to show you where where you want to go. Uh, so, But it's the, the records on the Everett. Uh, City Hall or the website, you go to the city website, they'll have the votes and they'll tell you who voted for what and what it's about. And that's a deeper drill and you know, a deeper dive into the details, but that's really how people um, will probably have to decide on races like this. Hmm. That's really interesting. I want to circle back real quick to one thing you said that I thought could be interesting distinction to make it really easy when we first look at this candidates. You said some of them have a really clear action plan of kind of what they stand for and what they want to do. Others are more general. Is that usually a pretty big indication of the type of, uh, you know, candidate candidate that they're going to be well, council it'll, member? It'll give you a little bit about their attitude, right? If they're willing to write down that they want to do something specific, 
uh, it gives you a, a point of whether, yeah, I wish someone would do that too. And, uh, and, and you'll, but then when they get to the council, you know, it's still there's seven members. So if they were on the council and they want to, you know, change time, they've got to convince at least three other people to get a majority to change time, right? I mean, so that may also indicate how willing they are to work with others. Uh, um, solutions on any problems these days aren't quick and easy to make. So a lot of folks don't want to get too specific. Uh, if you can see that, I was just talking about how the, the presidential election, you watch the debates, and every time one candidate comes out with a specific, the others start saying, well, how are you going to pay for it, or what mm-hmm, does it mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why folks who are running for office tend to shy away from specifics, because they just they don't have those answers yet. And there are uh, a couple judicial races on the ballot. Why should we care about judicial positions and what type of information should we research to make an informed decision? Would that be similar to the information you mentioned for like city council candidates? It's similar. It's probably one of the toughest decisions even I have to make because I'm never in court. I don't know who these folks are. I don't see them on the street. I don't know the judges. So when I go about it, it takes a little more work. And so you do have two races involving folks who were appointed to the bench, and this is the first time they're on the ballot, and they have challengers, and all four of them have been involved in the legal process for uh, a while. So uh, you can, again, see if they have websites and see what they say about their websites. Most of them will be rated by a bar association and you have to look. There's a number of bar associations, and so you have to kind of decide whether that helps you. But if, if they aren't rated, you might raise some red flags on why, why a bar association hasn't even weighed in and said mm-hmm. qualified, not qualified. What kind of things are judges doing that affect our lives as Everett residents? Uh, well, that's if you commit a crime, you're going to maybe be in front of one of the folks who's on the ballot right now, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're Superior Court judges. If you get arrested, and you're going to get hauled in front of a judge. Uh, you may have a, a worn out for a traffic ticket from three years ago. You might have to go in front of the judge to say, "Hey, I didn't. I, I wasn't living here. I didn't see it. It got lost in the mail. Can you, can you throw it out for me?" Right? You may have a crash where you want to go to court. Is there, these are the fe- <clears throat> these are the crimes, and the felonies uh, that these judges are deciding, and it's the first level of decision making. And then you can appeal all the way up. But this is really the front line of our a legal system. And is a judicial race, is that just in like the political nomenclature? Is that what's considered a down ballot race? That is exactly. <laughs> it's almost off the ballot for some because they don't know yeah, yeah. folks and they just skip it. Yeah. And it's interesting because most judges, you know, they get reelected because folks really don't know. And so if they figure mm-hmm. if they're on the bench and they were appointed there, they must be qualified. And we don't know their opponent unless they're very politically active. And so they get retained, much like an incumbent congressperson or someone. So it's tough. But every once in a while, uh, I saw in California recently where there was a you know sitting Supreme Court justices recalled and some were defeated because they become a decision they make becomes news. So some Superior Court judges can make the news by making a decision and a ruling, uh, uh, not applying a, a punishment as deep as the public thinks. It becomes front page news and gossip. And next thing you know, they're they actually have to defend a decision they made on the bench. Mm-hmm. Well, you just said a minute ago about using that logic of basically giving someone credit for being the incumbent. Is that um, is that a, a reasonable and logical way to look at some of these candidates? 
Because I've heard that before. When I first started voting, I remember somebody sharing that logic of, well, this person's already the incumbent. They got appointed, and so they must, you know, they already probably know how the role works. They Apparently, they're doing a good job. I don't see any complaints about them, so I'm just going to vote for them. It's It wouldn't be what I would advise as a, a way to choose who to vote for, but it's a reality. Sure. Because especially with judges, they're not making news. That's the whole point. They're supposed to be there and make a decision or run a court case or a trial and, and, and issue rulings. But they're trying to stay out of the news. And so there's just so little information about them individually, personally, politically. But if they do have websites, you can see who supported them. And sometimes you will see that a judge is... All the backers are from one political party or another. Sometimes you will see that law enforcement, the police and fire and uh, sheriffs, they may support a challenger to a sitting judge. So if you're, you know, individuals mm-hmm. say, well, you know what, I trust law enforcement more than I trust the elected politicians, so I'm going to go with this person. Uh, I mean, these are real decisions, and, then, and that's when those endorsements can become really important because if you don't know the candidate, but you know 10 people on the endorsements and you trust their judgment, then you're actually voting with them. And uh, it's just a reality of how it works because it's just, it is hard to know, is this a good or a bad judge? Yeah. Hmm. Referendum 88. Um, I've driven by the signs. It seems to be about affirmative action. And every time I drive by the signs, I'm like, affirmative action? What? Didn't we already vote on affirmative action? So what's up with, uh, what can you tell us about referendum uh, measure 88? Well, this has a lot of history. Uh, 1998, an initiative that was introduced uh, by Tim Iman and another individual passed, and it barred the state of Washington from using affirmative action in its hiring and contracts that it issues public education. And what was their justification back in 1998? Do you remember? Well, there was a feeling, and we were going through an era, that affirmative action was providing preferential treatment to uh, people of color, individuals with disabilities. And and so there was a feeling, and you may remember there's a big complicated case out of California, the Bakke case, where a white individual said, hey, I was discriminated against from getting into this program because you chose somebody who had a know less qualified than I. Is that the one with USC? Was that? It was a medical school, oh, okay. but it may have been University of California. Yeah, okay. And so the, uh, so that that argument has always been in this country. Uh, you know, who gets hired and how do you make sure it's diverse? And that's what this issue is about. Yeah. Um, last year, a group got signatures for an initiative it's called initiative legislature. They got enough signatures. They went to the legislature and said, hey, we want to get rid of that. And we want to get rid of the law. In other words, we want to remove that impediment. We want to be able to use affirmative action. And the legislature said, sure, they adopted the law. But folks who uh, you know, oppose that are now putting this referendum on, and their hope is let's repeal the law. So that's what you're really asking. You're trying to say, okay, there's a law in the books, just brand new, if you vote for this referendum, you're saying keep the law. If you vote against it, you're saying get rid of the law and go back to the way it was. So am I hearing this right? In 90, 1998, they decided affirmative action. We don't like it anymore. And then we passed a law that said... Voters passed yeah, a law in 98. Brought it back. The voters and, passed a law. And then, then it, we brought back affirmative action. 
And now we're trying to decide whether or not we actually do want it back or if we turns out we don't. Right. Earlier this year in April is when legislature said we don't need to go to the ballot. You got enough signatures. You want that you want affirmative action back in the mix when we hire for public education and contracts. It was passed and signed, but because of our process, now the voters get the chance to say thumbs up or thumbs down. And so that's what this is. And that's what these signs will say, R88. It was called Initiative 1000, so sometimes you see approved yeah, yeah, exactly. by 1000. So hmm. if you, uh, you know, you'll see on your ballot, it says, uh, should Initiative 1000 be approved or rejected? And so that's what you're voting on. Uh, and, if then, it, oh. and then just so I understand, if you vote yes, it means to keep it that affirmative action is thumbs up yes and if you vote no it means affirmative action thumbs down on that we don't want affirmative action okay it means the initiative uh you know it means the law will be wiped off the books it hasn't actually been enforced yet because it's so brand new yeah yeah Uh, the political signs are confusing because it says vote no on on uh initiative a thousand one thousand i think it says vote no keep discrimination illegal basically what the sign is saying that affirmative action is a form of discrimination. Right. And like nobody likes discrimination, but I support affirmative action. And I think they're separate things, you know? Well, there are individuals uh, in this, and in this issue, there has been a large, most of the money and most of the energy behind it is coming from uh, an Asian community in the state is mobilized. And it's unclear of all the different individual reasons, but collectively there's a feeling that, uh, you know, they may lose out, especially in education, that they're getting in and they're afraid that if through affirmative action, and it'll be like a reverse of what we saw in California way back when. And so when they may have higher scores to get into college, they're worried about well, we'll get passed by because they want to be affirmatively acting to diversify the student body. So they feel they'll be the subject of discrimination. Interesting. Interesting. So and, it's a minority group who's pushing for it. And uh, and trying to keep remove it. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Wow, that's and, and an the important... Initiative is, it's not that complicated. What's complicated, I think, in, in this day and age is really when folks go to hire, they want to look at everything, and they want a diverse population. And so they want to be able to use all these factors. And the way the law is written is just, you can use all of them as factors. You just can't single one out, whether it's race or gender or sexual orientation or disability. You can't say that's the overriding factor. If you do that, that's called preferential treatment. Yeah, yeah. And this says the law says, no, you can't be preferential, but you can use those as deciding uh, to make sure you have the the mix of employees that you want, or the companies you hire as subcontractors on, so hmm. interesting. So another uh, statewide initiative number uh, nine seventy six concerns motor vehicle taxes and fees. Um, why is this on the ballot, and what happens if it passes? That's well, another. Uh, it's a, it's another issue the state has voted on before and been talking about for as, pretty much as long as a affirmative action. Tim I mean, it's Iman. another Tim Iman thing, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. Uh, Nineteen ninety nine, two thousand two, voters passed, and the car tabs is what thirty dollar car tabs, right? Exactly. Yeah. I remember uh, my mom was so stoked on thirty dollar car tabs. I was only, I guess, it would have been like thirteen at the time. I just remember my mom being very happy because we didn't have a lot of money, and so that inexpensive car tabs were a big deal and, and it's they stayed there for a few years right and mm-hmm. then they started going up and so now you get your registration fees and there's so many things on it and it, it's a lot and so this initiative though it takes aim at that it wants to get back to make your mom happy 
thirty dollar yeah. car tabs. Uh, so it has to get rid of a lot of things that have been added on over time. But it also takes aim, and it's getting all the way back to the the local head back. It gets rid of uh, something Everett has, a transportation benefit district. It says that district, which I think gets twenty dollars of that tab, goes to Everett. That would go. That would be wiped away. And then the third part is sound transit, which for the central and southern Snohomish County, that's light rail. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it says one of the ways it gets the money on your car tab is the motor vehicle excise tax that goes just to sound transit. It wipes it out. It wipes out what uh, voters did in 2016. They voted to increase that rate and take more money. Yep, for yeah. ST3. And so it says, no. Nah, we're going to take that out. So that's what it does, and that's uh, it's on the ballot because he got enough signatures, and these are his favorite targets. I've been hearing Tim Iman's name, like I said, since I was a kid. I know that he's a local, what is he, technically a, a lobbyist? You know, he's a professional initiative promoter. I don't know what else Professional initiative promoter. I mean, that's gotcha. what he does full-time, around the clock. and uh, Why does he want to keep, could you put, put it simply, why he believes, like, car tab should be $30 and if they are $30 what you know what are we not paying for and or where does he think that money should come from in order to pay for st 3 so the latter part of the question I mean he thinks there's enough money right now the economy is going pretty good the state has a surplus of estimated around three and a half billion dollars uh, he thinks just take it out of there and pay for it which is a little simple because once you take it out of there then if you need something to for day-to-day government, you won't have it. The surplus will be gone. So uh, he says use the surplus. Uh, I, the $30 thing, it worked in 1999, and for he just hasn't added any inflation since then. He's still convinced that all you should have to pay for is that little piece of, that little tab that you stick on your car, and that for $30, that should be enough for government to produce the tab to send it to you. And that's all it should be for. It should not be for anything related to the car it's simply you should be paying for the employee to put in the order and send it to you so how do the roads get paid for in tim iman's world that's a question he says well voters want to pay taxes specifically for roads and put it on the ballot he thinks everything that any dollar that's raised and spent should be approved by voters at every okay interesting so uh representative government he thinks there's enough money there he thinks there's a lot of waste it's his view it's what view he's held for 20 years and uh and i don't think he's going to be dissuaded from that view i'm just not sure that it ever is uh kept up with the evolution of costs and salaries and inflation and that's why it's part of a problem right now Hmm. you pass it it's gonna uh, i think i wrote my latest column that it'll just make folks bleed green there's just so much less money that'll be in the mix for roads and transportation and buses Hmm. interesting so just to be clear on initiative measure 976 if you vote yes you're saying what well if you vote yes and you pass it you're saying you want to pay less on your car tabs and you want city and state and sound transit the city and state government and sound transit to find a better way or a different way to fill the holes that you just created. Because it's going to be, it's going to crater the amount of money they have. And so sure. they have to find another source. And they could go back to voters. There's 976 doesn't prevent car tabs from going up. It just says if he does, the voters have to say, yes, we'll, we'll raise it on our own. Sure. Gotcha. You think it'll pass? Wow, it's an opinion. It's, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, okay, okay, okay. No, I, I, th- <laughs> I think the mood, because it's statewide, 
uh, I think the mood of the state has all has become a little tax tired, and I think they're going to take a shot at it. They've passed it twice before, and uh, the opponents are spending a lot of money to say, no, these are the things you're going to lose. Hmm. But I still think there's a lot of folks who think, you know what? $30 sounds pretty nice to me. Mm-hmm. Totally. And we'll make government figure it out. I'm going to be dead right. before that light rail is here anyway. Why should I pay exactly. for it? That yeah. is part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it takes a while. Yeah. So circling back to one of the more local matters uh, for county council, specifically District 2, Anna Rorbo and uh, Megan Dunn are running for this position. And I think this is the position that originally had eight different candidates uh, running for it. Um, other than party affiliation, what are some of the major differences in these uh, two candidates that we should consider? Okay, well, so let's make sure we know the parties, too, because it, it, Megan Dunn is a Democrat and Anna Rorbo is a Republican. And that's important for historical perspective, um, this seat, this second district seat, has never been held by a Republican. So one of the elements here is that R and D next to their names. Sure, yeah. they, uh, and, and we know that from what the turn, you know, just the results of the elections, but also the, you know, when they look at the district voting, they they can just see there's more Democrats uh, registered or not registered, but who live in that area. So that is one of the big differences that will make it'll probably could be the deciding factor uh, they come from different perspectives megan dunn is a viewer that government needs to be active in all aspects of the life and so do more for housing do more to protect the environment she talks about investing in education which is tends not to be the county council role but she wants the county council to be more active in education uh, I've heard her at one forum not be afraid of talking about taxes. Uh, so she has a view that government has a role, to a greater role, even than it is now in Snohomish County. And Anna Rohrbaugh has focused in trying to win uh, on being a less government, less large government. We, we just do better with what we get now. And she's focused on public safety. She has sensed that the community is generally concerned about uh, safety. And so she wants to make sure that if she's elected, she wants to focus on the sheriff's department, the criminal justice system, those who have opioid issues or homeless. She wants to do more uh, in those areas. Why are the following positions important? How do we make um, an informed decision on some of these matters? Uh, So things like county treasurer, county auditor, sheriff, you know, how, how do we think about some of those things? Each one is, it's got its own little animal. County treasurer is kind of like judges. I mean, yeah. they handle the money. You send your property Who's tax Who's running in. for treasurer? Is exactly. it Brian Sullivan? <laughs> <laughs> Brian Sullivan and uh, Rob Toyer. And this is one of those, this is one of those situations in government where it's nonpartisan. Yeah. We'll put quotes and, around and it. Let's see. <laughs> Rob Toyer right now, is he Marysville City Council? That's correct. Okay. And then Brian Sullivan is the incumbent in County Council District 2 who is terming out. Right. Okay. So he's got to be out. He's And so you know, he's he's a Democrat, and Rob Toyer's been a Republican. He's run for a partisan office. But this is a nonpartisan office, but still you know where they're going to get their support uh, and where they're raising their money and so forth. Uh, it's This is one of those jobs where no one, you don't see them but it's a government job that pays well. And so you'll have your critics of someone like Brian Sullivan saying, okay, well, he's been a state lawmaker. He's been the mayor of Muggleteo and he's termed out and he still wants to keep working. So he just runs for this job. 
right? Because his experience has been in politics and policy, not money. And Rob Toyer, I think, is an accountant, and he too, it's like a big job, but he wants to get into elected office. Mm-hmm. And neither one is really talking much about lowering property taxes or anything because that's not their job. They're just supposed to collect it and make sure the accounts balance. And it's uh, you deal with these guys if you're paying, and if you're not paying, you'll never deal with them or their office. Hmm. So right. And the now the auditor is again it's nonpartisan. The key on the auditor, it may be one of those jobs that has other than the criminal justice system, a lot of people interact with. You got the elections, so one of their jobs is to oversee the elections and hire an election manager. But that, but they also deal with animal services, vehicle licensing. Uh, you know you, these things. If we, you know you got to get your like, things you need to do every day. Uh, kind of in a very customer sort oriented. So you you really have to be kind of a, an administrator, and you, and elections have become really complicated and important. So that tends to get the focal point of can they run an election safely without being hacked, without losing ballots, and so that tends to be one of the defining points of how well can an individual run our election system. But you got to be a pretty good administrator. You got to be able to get along. You got to be able to deal with. Uh, you know, like these other areas of the job, which you can find online. Yeah. They have a website. That Who's running for auditor? Well, Garth Fell and Cindy Goebel. Now, Garth Fell is currently the county elections manager. He's been there for a number of years, and so he's been running the elections. Um, and he's seen the department run, but he hasn't worked on these other areas. And Cindy Goebel works at Secretary of State's office and has done work on elections as well. But she's not at Snohomish County elections, so she has a bigger picture perspective. And Garth Fell, you start, these are not positions and these are not names people know. Cindy Goble is a little more active in partisan politics or has been, maybe not now. Uh, but I think you'll, if you look at their websites, you'll see their endorsements and you'll start to get an idea and a flavor that the establishment, it's the people who are there or people who have had the job before are behind one candidate. And, uh, and so that might sway uh, voters if they, in that way. And then Sheriff is the other one. Sheriff has become kind of interesting because you have the current sheriff, Ty Trenary, is running for another term. And one of his, uh, the sheriff sergeants, Adam Fortney, is challenging him. So, uh, Fortney is a former union leader, and and actually, I think when Ty was first elected, he was as the union president. So he was, you know, Adam Fortney was helping him win. So now he's challenging him, and he's saying, you know, some of your policies just don't work on the ground anymore. You've, you've reached a point where we need change. You're, you, I think his message is you're kind of out of touch with what we're doing day to day, and so. I think that's the. It's an interesting discussion. Uh, people may not know the individuals, but they do have feelings about law enforcement and how it should be done. There's some things in Snohomish County that have occurred over the last few years. One, if you have under two grams of certain narcotics, even controlled substances, you won't be arrested and booked. I mean, you'll be cited and released. And there's a debate on whether that's right or wrong. But there was no room in the jail, and the feeling was that's where they made a change. Uh, I think Adam Fortney wants to support not doing that, getting back to you got a, a gram and a half of heroin, you're going to jail. And uh, Ty Trenary is saying, you know, we probably have better use of our jail resources than that. So they're kind of, they're very on different views. And there's some other policing issues about how heavy handed to be, who gets, who gets locked up and who doesn't get locked up, uh, and how are dividing them. Hmm. Interesting. Now, as a sheriff, 
I think of movies and stuff. You know, you see that the sheriff kind of runs the the town. Does Tartaneri ride a horse? That's what Garrett really wants to know. (laughs) That's what I was getting to. Yeah, (laughs) just kidding. I haven't seen it. Your actual question. I haven't seen it, but I'm not saying he does. He uh, might. But in Everett, you know, you may need a permit to take a horse down and around. But yeah. it may also be the only way you get around the construction. Damn government overreach. you got to have a freaking permit for everything, including riding a horse. Um, they, they do, though. I, I worked in Santa Barbara County years ago, and they had a whole mounted patrol unit. And, okay, just a story, because you can lots of famous people down there. When Michael Jackson's house, it was used, there was a wedding at his ranch. And you, the mounted patrol was the one that were biking. You know, they were working it on the outside, and you got to keep not avoid stepping in it because there were so many horses and, and sheriffs on horses. Yeah, I'd like oh, to see fine. the bike cops and ever replace their bikes with horses. That'd be you know? cool. That'd be a sight to see. Yeah. You'd have to clean the streets, though. <laughs> right. All right. You were um, saying, no, Garrett. What I was getting to was: is the sheriff in more of an administrator type role, or? Are they actually out on the streets every day? It's an administrative role, uh, much more. They're not, I mean, they can go on the street, but they don't. There's so much to oversee. And this sheriff, uh, I mean, you probably, it it sounds a little cliche, but law enforcement in many ways, like in public schools, they have become um, centers for socialization in ways that were never seen before. I mean, people who are on the street, either homeless or near homeless, you know, there's, they have, there's mental health issues and substance abuse issues, and they may be prowling cars and breaking in just to get something they can sell to get money to buy drugs. And that's what they're dealing with is a whole different layer, and they're trying to figure out how can we work with social services to get these people help rather than lock them up for the weekend in jail. And this, so the sheriff has to be more than just go out and know how to arrest somebody these days. It's much more complicated. Have that right. have, be thinking about systemic issues and and uh, best practices. And, and you see them, and you'll see them in places and in meetings where you wouldn't years ago because they got to be part of the conversation. They yeah. want to be supportive of the organizations. Uh, I mean, they have this, uh, what is it? The uh, They have the center now, uh, the Snohomish Carnegie, County, the Diversion yeah. Center, where oh, yeah. the whole idea is to go, we'll get you in here for two weeks. You're homeless now, but in two weeks or less, we hope to hook you up with services for your your needs or your substance abuse your mental health or we'll hook you up with housing we'll get you into a we'll get you on the path to being able to stay out of trouble and turn your life around and and that was what was there before was work release where people basically just went in and spend the weekend working or during the week you know they did their jail time and so you take a jail and you turn it into a diversion center and that's that's what titratinary did to make Hmm. that change Interesting. And then so like uh, the sheriff is sort of like akin to like a police chief. Is that right? But police chief are appointed and they're not elected. Is that right? Yeah. And this is, you know, we have a lot of elected officials. You sometimes wonder, should they be elected or not? Because, again, this isn't this is a nonpartisan. But, you know, you again, you get back to those endorsements. Is it difficult if you don't have any interaction with law enforcement and you're trying to figure out, you have to look and see what they stand for, maybe who their endorsements are. There's also the uh, Public Disclosure Commission, which we call the PDC, of a website. You can see who's giving them money. Sometimes you, know, you can look and see who, if someone gives them money uh, for their campaign, you may not like those donors for some reason, and you can find information that way and decide whether you want to align yourself with that candidate or not. One of the things that I find so alarming about the sheriff um, uh, election 
uh, Adam Fortney and Ty Tierney is that Adam Fortney wears a leather blazer sometimes. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't even know that, that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I just can't vote for a man that wears a leather blazer. Okay. <laughs> But he used just, to be all in just, everywhere. So what are you talking about? It's uh, he's just kind of the I mean, I will say that just uh, the Herald is trying to write stories and has written stories on many of these races so far. So you know, theheraldnet.com. You could will you know they have election 2019. There's some nice profiles that'll be done, and and in those stories and other places they've done interviews and uh, you know whether radio and television and you know you can find some of this online. Uh, yeah. Some of their and there's also the League of Women Voters has something called 411.org I think 411.org but you can find on their website where they have a questionnaire and a lot of candidates now are starting to fill that out you can go there you type in your address you'll see who's on your ballot click on the name and and they may say what are the three issues you want to focus on so it's another source of information it's online so it's easy you can get it from your phone or from home Starts sound like a commercial, but yeah, yeah. but it's exactly yeah, no, where it's sometimes we have to go as reporters. Sure. Where yeah, you, know, you call and you have a ten minute conversation or a half hour conversation, you still don't know where they stand on sunshine versus rain. Yeah. So yeah. you go to these and you say, okay, they do they do have a viewpoint of whether they like sunshine versus rain. Sure. And uh, so that's what we do. Yeah, it's a good resource. Anything else we should know or keep in mind as we're thinking about this uh, upcoming voting here? Yeah, here's a soapbox. Stand on it. <laughs> but one of the things that happens in elections is the folks who have been around for a while, the seniors, the people of my generation now, uh, they tend to vote more than the folks who are 18, 20, 22, 25, even 30, because they're new, new voters. They haven't lived in a community long. Maybe they're going to college. They don't feel they have any ties. So one of the first things is really to encourage voters – or people of voting age, to really try to participate. Doing it once, even if you only know one race. If you know the sheriff's race and you don't know anything else, mark the ballot, send it in, do it so you can get in the practice of doing it and figuring out. Um, so that would be the first thing. And then I often tell folks, you know, figure out what you are most concerned about in your day-to-day life. Is it the traffic? Is it the whatever the situation is? And what do you think should be done about it? And then see if there's something on the ballot that allows you to voice, you know, give voice to that effort. So it may be voting for a city council. It may be voting for an initiative. Have you talked about affirmative action? And if you feel like, you know, it's just not been fair out there in the world for everybody, maybe you want to take a stand on that initiative. Uh, so figure out what's important and then try to find a way to express yourself through the ballot. So do you feel like, if there's an issue that somebody deems unimportant, like just as an example, we'll use like county treasurer. Let's say somebody gets that on the ballot and they're like, eh, I don't know if I really care. I'm not really sure. Is it fair just to skip it? Or should somebody just guess? Yeah, I think we've all been in that place before. We're like, eh, you know, what do I do here? Yeah, I think, I mean, it'd be terrible. I'm sure folks would say, ah, oh, you just gave the worst answer possible. But I think... An educated voter is better than an uneducated voter. And uh, if you feel uneducated about something, just I wouldn't mark it because you really don't know. Yeah. If you right. end up voting for the name that sounds better. Yeah. Or what uh, about the way that people look in their photos? Is it appropriate to pick the more attractive person? <laughs> well, it's probably not appropriate, but it does happen <laughs> quite a bit, actually. I think people do look at them. Oh, and they make a judgment through, yeah. oh, that person looks like. and they, uh, Yeah, I can't vote for a person in a leather 
blazer. Well, I know. <laughs> it's like the same way I shop for wine, you know? I, I just look at the pictures on the bottle. And <laughs> if, you see read what the, if you read the voter pamphlet, and some folks write in the first person and some write in the third person. And I know there's a lot of folks saying, okay, if you speak about yourself in the third person, that's one, you know, they have an opinion of you. So, you know, you have to, those are little tricks of the trade uh, that folks, when they vote and what turns them on and off. There are folks who get paid a lot of money to try to find that little segment of voters. Okay, a good-looking, well-touched-up photo with a certain tone. There are certain buzzwords that people care about right now. We use them in our statement. And suddenly we'll get their vote because they're not really sure, but that sounds good. They look good. Uh, and that does do votes. What's the craziest thing you've ever seen in a candidate's photo in the um, the pamphlet? In the pamphlet. Wow. I don't know if I've seen anything crazy in Washington. I have to think for a second. I know there was a candidate uh, in California that um, used to wear a hat. You know, oh, it was just, it that's was it? It, just it, a hat. Well, it, it, it was just a hat, but no one wears hats. So it struck me as why, and I can't even remember what the hat was, but I think it's, you know, it was just something he, and he became known for the hat. He changed, he yeah. ran a lot. And he changed the hat each photo. Oh. What about so Mike can, the Mover in Washington? Is that a true story? Somebody told me about a guy named Mike the Mover who would file Snohomish County. It was Snohomish County. Okay, yes, yeah. he's a, he is a really a mover, and he did it, and he is, a, and he he does it to get attention for right? his yeah, advertising, <laughs> get his name out there, yeah. and over time, his views have matured, and as a, polit- a political figure, because you run enough. You begin to take positions on issues that he probably didn't have hmm. when he first started. I've had many conversations with him. I find him to be extremely interesting. Okay, uh, yeah, so, so. yeah. But you yeah. do have the gadflies and the perennial candidates. And uh, you have to be careful because some of them, Mr. Good Space Guy. Oh, yeah, that's the one I was thinking of, Mr. Good Space Guy. Have you talked to Mr. Good Space Guy before? You have to. At some point, it's it's almost incumbent upon the newspapers to write about the 39 candidates running for president that uh, who are not going to you know get yeah, into any yeah. primary. And we'll have some from Washington on that list. So what's up with Mr. Good Space Guy? Is he just trolling everybody or is he... <laughs> Like he has views. He's yeah, got okay. all his views. He came up with. You can name yourself anything, right? And you okay. can get changed. But uh, and there are folks who just want that moment to put out a website, be there, be in the voter pamphlet, and share a view. And they that's their and they're participating, which is better than those who don't participate, right? It's, that's one of my biggest. It's very difficult. It's not a beef, but it's. Public service is really, really hard. Yeah, and it's become more and more difficult. You think about. I cover state government, so I've just in the time I've been here, the folks down there have had a budget go from twenty-five billion dollars, which is a good size. It's now fifty billion. It's the same folks, the same amount of time to figure out what to do with all the issues and spending. It's very complicated, and I, you know, so it's tough. And anyone who takes that step uh, deserves respect, but it also deserves respect of the voters to try to make the right decision because if they're qualified but it's their first time running, they shouldn't be dismissed. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard, you know, without money and name ID to get out there. Absolutely. All right, Jerry, I think we're about ready to wrap up with you. Before we let you go, where can people learn more about you and follow your work? Well, the Herald uh, has a website, heraldnet.com, and um, I have a weekly column that eh, gets up online Wednesdays uh, late or early Thursday, and then, of course, I cover regularly uh, from Olympia. 
And so that's where you'll find me unless uh, we, Sound Publishing owns a number of weeklies <laughs> that owns our papers. Sometimes I show up in those weeklies in uh, Bothell and other places in the Snohomish County, uh, Marysville, Arlington. So nice. you see me there. Well, this has been awesome. I've never been so excited to go vote. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a real honor to meet you. We've read your work and heard you on KCR over the years. And I just want to thank you again for your uh, time to be here in the Live and Everett podcast. Oh, that's my, my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. I hope I can do it again. Hey, do you enjoy Living Everett? If so, you can support us with a donation to our Patreon. Even a dollar a month helps us deliver stories, videos, and this podcast about the good things in Everett every single week. If you want to know more, you can head over to patreon.com slash Everett to donate today and help support Living Everett. Thanks for listening to the Live and Ever podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please help others discover it as well by subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leaving a review. If you'd like to drop us a line, you sure can. Podcast at liveandever.com or leave us a voicemail at 425-341-3731. Thanks to Jerry Cornfield from the Daily Everett Herald for joining us today. And special thanks to Oliver Farmy for our theme music. Good things happen in Everett because of you. So thank you so much for listening and being a part of this wonderful city. Have a great week. This is why we're Everett till the grave.